You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 20. This week's artist, Aerosmith. It's time to get your dream on and follow the blind man up on the mountain to see if you've got what it takes to chip away at the stone. So stop living on the edge. You can make it. Just get a grip and walk this way to find your oasis in the night. Your hosts, Rob Heitman and special guest host and master of the base, Alan Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Dirty Dozen podcast. Well, we're ranked the Dirty Dozen or top 12 Aerosmith songs while discussing their music and pounding back a few brews. I'm Rob. And I'm Alan. There you go. Welcome, Alan, to to the show. Thank you, Rob. It's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, Alan plays bass with me here and there, and it's, he's amazing. He's been playing for for a long time, yes. but, and he's really good at it. Anyway, I'd like to thank everybody who's been active on our Facebook page. Although I can't send a shout-out to everyone, I'd like to take a quick second to send a special shout-out to Sean Martin, Michael Smith, Carissa Rittenberg, and Nick Eckhart, who actually requested this Aerosmith show. So that's just a note. If you want us to play something, let us know. Thank you for being active all of you on our Facebook page and everybody I didn't mention. So, Alan, tell me how the music of Aerosmith impacted the world of Alan Campbell. Well, I was around back in those days, you know, late 70s. Okay. And I was aware of Aerosmith because their songs were being played on the radio. But I wasn't really a fan at first because I really haven't, hadn't given their music a good listen. But that changed when the band I was playing in decided that we were going to cover the song Sweet Emotion. Okay. And so, which is on the uh, Toys in the Attic album. So I went out and bought that album so I could learn the song. So your first exposure really to them was the third album, which was right. Toys, okay. And I brought it home, gave it a good listen, listened to it start to finish all the way through. And two things jumped out at me right away. Number one, there is not a bad song on that record. Every song is legit. There's no filler. Number two, the level of musicianship was a cut above most other rock bands of that time that were playing the kind of music that we refer to as classic rock today. And me being a bass player, uh, Tom Hamilton's playing especially got my attention. Even back then, he was a very, very accomplished player. So that's how I became a fan, by listening to Toys in the Attic. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I started later. I was born in uh, 1970, so I was a kid when like toys came out and stuff. I ended up listening to my radio station, which was pretty much MTV. And believe it or not, once the Run DMC video came out with uh, Aerosmith, Walk This Way, that really opened the door to, wow, who are these guys? What are they doing? What is, what is this band? And then I got their Greatest Hits album, right. which was came out like 1980 or something like that. It was awesome. I mean, it had Dream On, Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way, Last Child, Draw the Line. I, I think it even had a Beatles cover on it. I think Come Together, I think, was on it. But it was, wow, these guys are great. And then I went out and I, I stepped up and I got Permanent Vacation, which I played to death on cassette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> until it like wore it out. Some good stuff on there. Yeah. And, uh, and then Pump came out. And uh, the second the Pump came out, I went there. And mm-hmm. actually, Aerosmith was the second concert I ever went to in an arena in my life. I saw Kiss first. And then a year later, I saw uh, Aerosmith. And it's, it was crazy how energetic they were. And I know they were a little bit older at the time. This is the late 80s. How energetic and how much he was jumping around the stage and mm-hmm. just crazy and sw- swinging his uh, mic stand. And 
and just the amazing show. It's for me, it was so surreal because to actually be there and have those people playing. I mm. I've been in a lot of smaller clubs and stuff, but I'd never been there you know in like the arena with all the people and, right right and the it's, big big names yeah, it's an experience all right so that's pretty much how i got into them i like aerosmith quite a bit but i may not like the same stuff that you grew up with or at least that you first started to as much so it should be interesting but now it's time to talk about the important section of our show well it's one of my favorite sections of our show when we get to talk about beer alan brought some really cool beer today uh samuel smith imperial stout which to be wholly honest with you i poured before we even started but if you look at the color it's none more black than i can like coca-cola with a head on it yeah it's it's really yeah, it is that's that's probably a good a good call yeah it's really clean though it's not like uh it's not murky black it's just black yeah and I it can't doesn't, see have, it it doesn't have a thick mouthfeel either it's 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 not as as heavy as it looks and you can smell this out like the moment you put your nose by it really Little notes of maybe some chocolate or just what every stout kind of smells like. Definitely chocolate. Mm. It, oh, it's, it's, it reminds me a little bit of a Maduro cigar as well. Yeah, it's once you taste it though, it feels almost caramelly. It's so good. I'm, I'm digging this a lot. Let me taste yeah. it one more time to make sure. There's there's a hint of sweetness that that balances out the uh, the bitterness. Yeah, I think of, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a, the chocolate note. Yeah, but I, I think it's very well balanced. There's almost a fruit note I'm getting from there. Like, a, I'm thinking a plum, but I don't think that's right. But it's mm. something, something fruity in that spectrum. It's not quite a plum, but there's something there. Any other thoughts? You got it. You're good. It's, it's my favorite stout. I mean, I've had several different kinds of stouts, um, and when I tried that one, it was definitely the best. And it's, uh, it's hard to find. I found it at Bevmo. I don't. I haven't seen it anywhere else. Okay, yeah, that's good. So, uh, once again, uh, we plug BevMo almost weekly on the show, <laughs> or, or bi-weekly. Oh, and by the way, I just want to apologize for just life happening around it, that we had to delay this podcast just by a week or two. Uh, we'll be back on the two-week schedule. We're already set, so no worries. And Jake will be back. He's not leaving. He's just had to take a, a quick, uh, quick respite from it, and he'll be back. Uh, we're already working on the next podcast already. So before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing the songs we will share under 15 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight. And then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing these tunes will always head back to Aerosmith. We have also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist, which will automatically update each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. So Alan, let's get into the nitty gritty of this. Uh, what's your song of note? My song of note is from the Done With Mirrors album. It's really? Okay. I would not have went there. But yeah, that's good. Written by Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. It's called She's On Fire. Okay. It is not a typical Aerosmith song at all. It starts out with um, Joe Perry's playing some kind of resonator guitar, and he's using a bottleneck slide. And he, the sounds he gets are just amazing. It's heavy. It's compelling. It's got great echoey guitar tone all through the song. Uh, Kramer's drums sound like John Bonham on Physical Graffiti. It just it kicks butt. There's, uh, Tom Hamilton's using a dirty bass tone. 
and just the overall recording mixing production of the song is amazing and it the thing that struck me about it was it kind of evokes a little bit of a dark somber mood and i think it's a great example of how a piece of music can set a mood evoke a mood in, in somebody you know emotionally yeah i always like the slide work just generally and and the way that they'll come about it from a different way like you're saying and uh so let's let's hear a little bit of uh, she's on fire Yeah, that sounded great. Yeah, it's really it's really good. I see, Done with Mirrors is one of those albums that I kind of I listened to all the songs, but I really wasn't as heavy into it. And I I remember that song, but there was so much I was hoping, you know, hey, here they're coming back right after they're back together and here's Done with Mirrors and it's gonna be this amazing thing and the album really wasn't. They have some moments, like She's on Fire. Right. Uh, right. But the rest of the album I you know wasn't really my favorite. <clears throat> no, uh, mine, mine neither. I, I really, but that song just kind of stood out as, as, as a complete departure from the, the rest of the songs on the album. Yeah, no, I, I totally am with you. All <clears throat> right, uh, mine, my song of note is off of Honkin' on Bobo because I love that album. It's and, a great album. And yeah, and I'm, most of them are covers, so I can't put you know, any of them on my list, but I need to play some of them. I was debating whether I was going to go with You Gotta Move, but I decided to go with my favorite song on the album, uh, the catchiest song on the album, Baby Please Don't Go. That is my favorite too. Uh, bass is killer on it, which is probably why you love it. Uh, instrumentation is cool. The harmonica and the guitar, uh, the slide and the grit on the track is just palpable. I love the little echo on the guitar, the emotion and the feel. And the vocal line is traditional Aerosmith, but it, it works. It was uh, a big Joe Williams song uh, and recorded, I think, in 1935 initially, Wow, where it's based off of. So uh, anyway, let's listen to uh, Baby, Please Don't Go. Do you have anything else you want to add? Oh, just great energy in that song. Great groove. It's, that's my favorite song on the album, too. <laughs> Okay, that's my song and note. I could listen to the whole thing, and we listened to more than you did. So take a chance. Go listen to uh, on our playlist. Baby, please don't go. I'll throw it on there this time. I'll put 13 on there. I'll put, I'll put both Alan's and mine on there. So for our songs of note, I'll add. So we'll have it be 14 on our list, this next one. So please listen to that. Honkin' on Bobo, if you like blues, if you like rock and blues, it's just really, really good. Anyway, so Alan, let's take the jump. All right. Into the 12. So let's start with your number 12, and then I'll do 12 and 11, and then we'll go like okay. cascade down that way. Uh, my number 12 is uh, a song called Full Circle on the Nine Lives album. The reason I picked this song actually is because um, of a live version that I saw on YouTube. Okay. Uh, it's... Different from the studio version, I prefer the live version. It's it's the band on stage doing what they do best, having a ton of fun. It's a great R&B blues based uh, track, 
a lot of raw energy, and the chemistry of the band is infectious. And they just, um, they're just having a great time, and um, it's just a good time rock and roll song. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have that on a live album. I was just checking. So we're going to play the album cut, if that's all right. Sure. Um, the progression in the beginning kind of felt like Tuesday's Gone almost for me. Uh, <laughs> just just in the intro, though, then it got into its into its space. The verse is kind of catchy. I like the harmonies in the chorus. A little country influence, I think, Yes, in, in the tune. Yeah. Yes. So let's listen to some full circle. Alan's number 12. Train roll on. <laughs> That was Alan's number 12, full circle. Now it's time for me to jump into the ring here. I'm going to run with my number 12, which has always been a favorite of mine ever since I saw them play in concert and with the Permanent Vacation album and the songs on Permanent Vacation. In fact, it's named Permanent Vacation. Mm -hmm. I love that sort of feel. It's almost like a Buffett sort of influence a little. And oh, the power chords. I'm a big power chord guy. You know, love power you know, down, 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 that open. I'm just all over that when it's just that guitar. It's not somebody doing a soloy thing. It's just hitting big, it's, meaty chords. And and, it's powerful. That's why they call them power chords. Yeah. And uh, the drum comes in and it just takes off in a good way. I love the steel drums. Yeah, that calypso feel they put into the song is pretty, is kind of catchy. Who can't relate to wanting to escape on vacation and get away from life occasionally? The verse is killer. Uh, Steven has good storytelling uh, in the vocals as well. And the guitar riff kind of pulls it along. The chorus, they get like Jimmy Buffett-y. Uh, the solo's good, and I love the, the ad-lib. My, 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 you know, when he does the mys. Permanent Vacation was, of course, the first album that Aerosmith ever recorded sober, or at least allegedly so. And he wrote this with, uh, Tyler wrote this with Whitford. And, uh, yeah, it was one of the last songs actually written for the album. I actually mm -hmm. kept the name for the desk. Uh, this, this song almost made my list. Okay. Um, it it fires on all cylinders. It's it's a good track. I I enjoy it. It's just that uh, you know we only have twelve spots and it just didn't make it. No, I hear you. All right, here's permanent vacation. <laughs> Okay, that's my number 12, Permanent Vacation off of Permanent Vacation. I tend to not like ballads at all, but understanding the band, Aerosmith, and understanding their hits, I felt that since I was trying to find the best Aerosmith songs, not necessarily my favorite Aerosmith songs, that I did need to include some in the list. So I took some of my favorites and added them to my list. Mm -hmm. So this is off of Get a Grip, my number 11. It's called Crying. I like the riff in the beginning and the horns kind of highlighting the chords into like an arpeggiated chord, you know, in the standard rock ballad stuff. Verse is good, and as is the build. The chorus is poppy, catchy, and almost feels like a country tune in the chorus. The turnaround revisits the intro with a little bit of that Aerosmith swagger that still exists in this song. It's not completely stripped of the Aerosmithness. The song is about a roller coaster relationship. It seems great at first and then turns worse. 
and who knows that could have been about the band it could have been about steven's drug use uh a relationship it could be many things yeah steve steven tyler cites a song as a country influence on uh, aerosmith he said listen to the lyrics he told rolling stone it was country we just aerosmithed it yeah, there's a, there's a country flavor that runs through several of Aerosmith's better songs. It's just sometimes it's kind of just lurking below the surface, but it's there. Yeah, it has the bones of country, but the guitar and beat of a right. hard rock band. Here. Right, exactly. So uh, let's listen to uh, Crying, my number 11. Anyway, that's my number eleven. Crying. Well, first of all, I love the the vocals and the, the harmonies in that song. Oh, it's just it's um, it's really tasty. I didn't mean to caveat it. I just I kind of felt bad that Jake was missing this one, and his would have been ninety five percent ballads. So I had to make sure I got a couple in there from. <laughs> well, regarding ballads. It seems like every hard rock band tries to do ballads, and some do better job than others. Aerosmith is very good with ballads. Sure. But we'll get to that later on in my list. Okay, uh, what do you got at 11? My number 11, and this is going to surprise people, is Dream On from the very first Aerosmith album. Wow. This is the classic song that put them on the map. So clearly it's number 11 on their best songs of all time. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no, that's okay. And, and when we get farther up my list, you know, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. Okay. I love the multi-track guitars. Um, the way they're mixed, it's, it's perfectly balanced with each other. Nothing is stepping on each other in the mix. There is a lot of echo on the lead vocal, and it's done very, very well, especially for 1973. Sure. It, that and the lyrics that Steven Tyler is singing give the song a kind of a, an expansive, timeless quality to it that that seems to transcend time and space. It was recorded 46 years ago, and it gets radio airplay to this day. That speaks volumes about the song. It's a classic Aerosmith. It is the classic Aerosmith song. Yeah, it was the song that really saved them from being dropped by their label after <clears> the <throat> first album. That was the one that hit because it had some. It wasn't a big hit. It became a big hit, as you're saying. It's still being played today, uh, much later. But at the time, it really wasn't, right? It well, was, it was. It was released as a single when the album first came out, and then it was re-released two years later. And that time, it made it up to number ten in the top forty. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying initially, when the album came out, when it, yeah, it was it was considered a flop. Right, because Columbia had two albums that came out on the same day. It was Aerosmith and Bruce Springsteen's first album. Oh, wow. So they say for every dollar they spent on Aerosmith, they spent 100 on Bruce. I believe that. Yeah, that's part of the reason that they really had to work on touring and doing the ground game to get them up. They weren't really, the label was not pushing them. It was there, and obviously they want them to be successful, but they're not gonna, they weren't putting money there. Yeah, they were, they were touring beasts in their first few years. No. Dream On, definitely a good song. One you may hear later on my list. Who knows? <laughs> I, expe I expect that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love I, I love uh, Perry's guitar in this uh, too. It's just it's so solid. Anyway, 
let's listen to a little bit of Dream On. Okay, that was Alan's 11, Dream On. Uh, okay, Alan, what do you got at number 10? Let me guess. Uh, walk This Way. <laughs> no. Sweet emotion. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Just go ahead. And and this is kind of a continuation of what I was saying. Okay. My, my number 10 is also off of the Aerosmith album. Okay. And it is One Way Street, a song written by Steven Tyler. I think this is a better song than Dream On. Really? Believe it or not. Okay. Um, it's a good time rock and roll song. It has, uh, in the verses, it has a descending... Um, melody line when the when chord inversions are being played it's very interesting uh, musically steven tyler does great harmonica yep it's got a great closing movement and there are just these little tidbits of of, of tasty stuff through the song that make you forget it's a seven minute song it, it, it i almost think that if they would have made it a four minute song they could have released it as a single at the time it almost gives me sort of an almond brothers meets free sort of feel that, that was the vibe I got from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, the harmonica, he's great. He has actually a solo on there. Uh, I love when Tyler is, gets all raspy and growling right right before the verse right. comes in. Uh, I love the trade-offs in the solos generally. Um, the, the, ver- it's, the verse is almost like a, it's a true blues sort of verse. It's almost a spoken word right, as right. opposed to some vocal melody. There's some piano and uh, really good bass work in the chorus. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I like it a lot, too. It didn't make my list, but I do like it a lot. So let's listen to Alan's number 10, One Way Street. Okay, that's Alan's number 10. One Way Street off of Aerosmith in 1973. So I'm going to run to mine. Number 10 It's off of an album that was much later on than that. In fact, it was 16 years later. An album called Pump. This song has a really cool water kind of feel in the intro. It is one of these songs that doesn't really sound like another song that I've heard. It's played on the keyboard. It's a bass line, but it's bass played on the keyboard. So it sounds all slappy. Uh, Janie's got a gun. The verse is really good. Very orchestral kind of feel for a lot of it. The chorus is solid and the runaway, runaway, runaway from the pain. And uh, the solo really fits the tune, although it's not my favorite Joe Perry tone from the guitar. But the weird thing is when Stephen was talking about Janie's got a gun, he was, you know, obviously it's a heavy topic. It's about incest and rape and all those things. And the line was supposed to be, he raped a little bitty baby, man, that guy's got to be insane, but the company made him change it to he jacked a, a little bitty baby in the line. Okay. They made him change it because they said, this is going to be so popular because it doesn't sound like anything else out there. I know this song's going to hit, and I'd hate to see it just die on the vine just for, because, because of the lyric. lyric. Yeah. Right? And there was another one they wanted to change later, the put, put a bullet in his brain part. Right. They wanted they wanted him to change it to stand out in the pouring rain, but he refused to do that one. Okay. <laughs> but he did the first one, which I kind of get. Yeah, the the video was big too. Uh this kind of pushed yes. the song and um 
<clears throat> but the great thing is this sort of song actually brings up issues that maybe were in the you know on the sideline and maybe actually affected some change so alan you got anything on janie uh this is a stellar track in my opinion the the vocals the melody of the vocals is great the bridge is amazing yep and they throw it in there twice and after the first bridge there's this really tasty guitar interlude section where right, right. joe perry does some really tasty stuff top-notch production um, I, this is one of those songs i think that was from the very beginning was produced to be a, a hit single actually I, I was watching like the behind the scenes and the making of pump and steven was kind of just messing with it it wasn't like this isn't one of those songs where he went into a room with another writer it's Stephen came up with this sort of feel on his own, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't him working with whoever. Uh, well, he worked. Well, Tom Hamilton is listed as co-writer. Well, no, I know, but I mean, he worked within the band. Well, yeah, he, yeah, he, outside it wasn't. Band, it yeah. wasn't an outside right. artist, which he did do later from some of the other popular hits. Yeah. Here's my number ten. Janie's got a gun. Anyway, that's my number 10. Janie's got a gun. So we'll jump into my number nine. And I'm going a little bit more old school with number nine. Okay. So I'm going off the Rocks album, uh, 1976. One of my favorite Aerosmith tunes, Back in the Saddle. Great song. The marching drums, the sliding chords. And when Stephen just opens the song, it's like, as the entry comes in, he goes, and I'm back. You know, when he starts, it just goes beginning the beat the chorus it's so it's so iconic and for the bridge tyler taped tambourines to his cowboy boots and stomped on a piece of plywood really i did not <laughs> yeah, know that yeah as so so he can get that in the thing and for the crack of the whip they bought a bull whip but nobody could use it yeah, <laughs> so yeah. they end up faking it by uh, having tyler swing a cord in the studio to make the whirling noise and a cap gun for the snap yeah, it's it's a quite a skill from what I understand, snapping a bullwhip like that. I remember they had this uh, what was it, a Saturday Night Live bit from a while ago. It was like the Whip Master, and oh, I didn't see that. And today played by his understudy, and it was like Bill Murray, and he's like had no skill with the whip, <laughs> and he kept <laughs> whipping people and like cutting their faces. It was hilarious, uh, <laughs> but but it always the uh, Whip Master. It was always good. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> thoughts? Or you, if you can talk about it later, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I'll talk about it later. All right. So uh, my number nine is Back in the Saddle. Okay, that's my number nine, Back in the Saddle. Good tune off of Rocks. So, Alan, what do you have at number nine and number eight? If for some reason, by the way, we do match on one or another, just call it out at that moment. Like, if you if your number nine happened to be back in the saddle, which I don't think My it is. number nine is back in the saddle. Oh, it is? Yes. So, Oh, so we matched. So, we matched. Okay, perfect. Wow. I didn't even know that happened, and, and it actually happened. That's cool. So, yeah, if that happens again, just call it out at the moment. Uh, okay. That's we'll my number nine, too. Will do. All right. uh, a couple of things to add. You know, this interests me because I'm a bass player. Joe Perry uses an instrument that uh, called the Fender Six, which is a six-string bass that Fender 
started marketing in the early 60s and uh, it lasted about till the mid 70s it's kind of a cross between a six string guitar and a bass guitar it's got six strings and it's tuned an octave lower than a regular guitar and if you if you listen to the song and you hear an instrument in there that kind of sounds like a bass but it kind of sounds like a guitar too that's the fender six and the I think the parts that, that Perry came up with are brilliant because it, it, it's like he hybridized what he was going to do. It's like a kind of halfway between a bass part and halfway between a guitar part. He's doing chords in certain places. He's doing lines and runs in other places. It's it's really an interesting song. And also, in the close, in the in the kind of the outro section of the song, at three minutes and fifty two seconds, there is a yodel. Yodel <laughs> so you know if you're into that thing you know put it on and go to 352 and that's what you'll hear well why don't we go to 352 because we're we both were nine so we should okay. probably just pay one anyway the real interesting thing is when he had the six string bass when he wrote the, the riff perry said that he was lying on the floor stoned on heroin oh, just man. coming and and he came up with the riff and he said the song wasn't really recorded till about a year later but it was just, he's like, that's where it came up with it. It's, it's amazing that some of this stuff is like, well, I'm not gonna how he even remembers it. I'm and, not going to do that just to come up with riffs. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. No, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Yeah, let's play the, let's let's hear the the yodel, okay? From 352, you said? 352? Yeah. I'll, I'll put it on like 345, and then we'll we'll, we'll hear it in the, the 15 second clip here. So here we go. <laughs> So you hear it there? There it is. <laughs> All right. That was number nine uh, from both of us back in the saddle. Uh, so, Alan, what do you have at number eight? Uh, my number eight is a song called Adam's Apple uh, from Toys in the Attic. Okay. Written by Steven Tyler. It's a great guitar hook. Uh, the song fires on all cylinders. I think every every member of the band is on, um, and also I think it's interesting that and I researched this a little bit, and but I'm not positive about it. But I'm pretty sure that this is the first time that the phrase "love at first bite" is introduced into pop culture. And interestingly enough, a few years after this song was released this album was released a movie was made called love at first bite which was a some some kind of a vampire comedy yeah, with hamilton movie. i think was, it was george hamilton yeah. exactly yeah yeah it's a it's a and and this is this song is a spoof of the uh adam and eve in the garden of eden eating the forbidden fruit Stephen actually wanted to name the album love at first bite after the line in the song. Oh, really? Yeah, initially, but they went with Toys in the Attic instead. I think everybody would be kind of happy with that. Uh, for me, the, the slide and the beginning and the song is amazing. Yes. It, it, it's, it gives me something, feel that something new is coming. Then they slide the rhythm and beat that the fit into a box. But then the, the verse, just, I, for me, it was kind of mundane. It was really, the verse I was really not high on. Uh, the chorus is better, but the like I like the chorus, and then the end of the chorus, it just it kind of fell off for me. Uh, the solo was really, really good, though, and I love the nuances of what he did, but the hook of the song is just a clear star for, for yes. Adam's Apple. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So let's listen to Adam's Apple, Alan's number eight.
Okay, that was Alan's number eight. Adam's apple off of Toys in the Attic. So I guess I'm on my number eight because we matched on nine. So my number eight is off of Just Push Play. It's Jaded. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's just one of those songs that the drum intro into a really kind of good guitar lick, the catchy verse. It's it's really kind of a a pop based ballad with rock and spots sort of mm-hmm. thing. Chorus is catchy, and for me, it's the best part of the tune. The strings and the drums carry the tune quite a bit. Sometimes the strings and the, or keys or whatever it is can over take the song a little bit in a couple parts that's one of the only things i don't like about it but the mm-hmm. song overall is really good steven tyler wrote the song while he was thinking of his youngest daughter and how much he missed her childhood because he was touring i'm the one that jaded you this is like their last really huge hit i think really for aerosmith yes yeah so uh tyler said when i hit on the melody for jaded it was so phenomenal that for a while i was scared to do anything more with it mm-hmm. i didn't even tell the band and uh this was recorded at the Boneyard, which is where uh, Joe Perry's home studio. He got oh. a, he got a Neve board. He went crazy. Okay. <laughs> I guess when you're you're making millions, and yeah, you, you, you can do that sort of thing. <laughs> a couple hundred thousand here and there. You know. Yeah, whatever. What's, what's but he's using it and he's recording it. And if he's saving money going through yeah. a real studio, yeah. especially when you have a band like that. But it's kind of interesting that Just Push Play generally was the first digital recording for Aerosmith it wasn't tape right it's all in the home studio we used some analog pieces mm-hmm. uh in it obviously Neve board and some preamps and right all of the effects were that way it's not like they like today where Pro Tools has all that stuff in it but he it was 2001 he was recording into right you know the multi-tracks and even many of the plugins for Pro Tools are just digital emulations of existing outboard gear that's been around for forever you know absolutely yeah, that's it's awesome. Any other thoughts on Jaded? Uh, I will talk a little bit about it a little bit later. It's a great song. Okay, good. Here's my number eight, Jaded. Let's listen. Oh, really quick, that Judge Jaded when he does that part. I always think of Fish Called Wanda when Michael Palin was going. Ken is coming to kill me. I don't know. I just, I, whenever I hear that, I think of that. I'm sorry. I'll go back to the song. But I, but I had to just make that comment. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's so interesting thinking about how this was about his daughter. I have daughters. So the things that you do can have an effect on them and whatever right. you choose to do. So yeah, so it's kind of a heavier song on that mode. Uh, I'm sure when I first heard it, I thought it was about a girlfriend or something like that. So anyway, uh, that was my number eight. So my number seven is off of Permanent Vacation. It's the song written about Vince Neil from Motley Crue. Steven Tyler was walking into a bar and he was at the end of a bar and he didn't, he looked down the bar, he goes, Oh, that that girl's hot. Let me send her a drink. And he turned around, and it was Vince Neil. <laughs> so he ended up writing a song about it, and it became very popular. It's on permanent vacation. It's called "Dude Looks Like a Lady." <laughs> and so the song was actually about now Vince the Neil. video makes sense after you told that story. <laughs> I think Desmond Child worked on this with mm-hmm. with the band. This whenever I see Desmond Child, I'm like, 
boom, I remember like a billion songs with Kiss that he wrote. He's also written with a mutual friend of ours. Who's that? Jeff Vincent. Did he? Okay. Wow. <clears throat> well, maybe we should have got Desmond Child on. That would have been freaking awesome. <laughs> well, we're going to at least get Jeff on to talk about Desmond. Mm-hmm. So, love the stereo effect and the intro shifting from left to right. So, listen to this with good headphones. It's always a little bit better. Or a good stereo system, if they have those things anymore. Uh, <laughs> horns are a positive, and they do add to the bigness of the song. A lot of times, I think horns t- detract from a song as they're trying to do too much. But here, I think it actually adds to it. The verse and chorus are just instantly recognizable. The bridge is really good as well, and it's a really well thought out solo with just really good feel. The video was just some good performance with a little cross dressing. Uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was good. You have any thoughts? I love the horns. Sure. Um, and I love the way Aerosmith does horn arrangements. I don't know who does their horn arrangements, but I think they do horns as good as anyone does. Yeah. You know, in terms of mixing rock guitars and horns together. Yeah, what you were saying earlier about sometimes the horns can detract from the sound. That's very true. I totally agree. But the way they use the horns and interplay with the guitars and even the vocals, too, it's very tasty. It is. All right. So here's my number seven. We're flying already. We're almost mm-hmm. we're cruising. Almost halfway through. Dude looks like a lady. It's kind of interesting, uh, just as a complete sidebar, that if you we, what we just talked about with Adam's apple, he yeah. uses the lyric "Love at First yeah, Bite" he, he, and "Dude Looks Like a Lady" too. He, he rips himself off. That's right. That lyric's too good to use in one place, and I don't know if anybody's going to hear agree. Adam's apple, I so agree. I'm going to use well, it again. <laughs> he, if if we're right and he came up with it in the first place, then he can do whatever with it he wants to. Yeah, it's kind of interesting though. It's that it kind of resurfaced if you will but i think with this song at least for me personally sure. you know it it got the snot played out of it on the radio and sure. i got sick of it and um but i do recognize it for the extremely well-produced song that it is and i always i always see steven moving on stage doing his little back and forth stuff mm-hmm. uh with his uh you know handkerchiefs or whatever right you mean flying mic stands yeah during the bad times he actually hit Joe Perry with it once or twice. And they're, 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 <laughs> Deliberately or by uh, accident? Well, who knows, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah, he's, he's kind of volatile when he's that way. It, it's just amazing that those two went through the fights and the battles that they both had. And I, I read the Rocks book by uh, Joe Perry. Mm-hmm. And I've re- watched a bunch of interviews. And I spent a lot of time on that. We'll put all posts to links to all of that. The Joe Perry book, especially if you're an audiobook fan, I totally recommend because I listened to it. I didn't read it. Joe Perry read it to me. So it's like a lot of people have professional readers. Right. It was just Joe Perry reading his story. So it kind of felt like I was talking to Joe. That's great. Yeah. So it's uh, it's fantastic. So listen to the audiobook even more than the book for him. Anyway, uh, that was just Dude Looks Like a Lady. So what do you have at number seven, Alan? Now we're back to the ballads. Okay. My number seven is I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, which is from the Armageddon soundtrack. And I actually saw that movie in the theater when it came out. Yeah, I saw it too. It was so good. And then it's so funny how you can remember something being so good. And then you see it 20 years later and it's 
so cheesy and you're like how could i have liked that but well, it's, but you know there are wives and girlfriends you have to please you know when it goes comes to uh, choosing movies too so that well, well it was an action movie into... it was bruce willis blowing up a uh a asteroid come on that's pretty awesome but the love story kind of either, either either ruined it or stole the show depending on your perspective sure no i get it and the song was pretty heavy in it too if you really think about yeah. it yeah yeah, it was. And I think this is Aerosmith's best ballad ever. Tom Hamilton uses either a five-string or six-string extended-range bass, and he's got some low notes in there which give the song some depth that it wouldn't have otherwise. Um, great bridge that builds into closing choruses and, and the outro. The orchestration in the song is excellent. I think this is an extremely well-written and well-produced song. I think this is another one of those songs that was produced to be a hit single from the very beginning. It's it's a stellar track. Yeah, it wasn't written by Aerosmith at all, the song. The Diane song, Warren. Diane Warren the... wrote it, yeah. For me, uh, the song, obviously, from a poppy point of view, you know, it hits all the notes. Yes. It's very good. The harmonies in the background, the chorus is catchy, but the vocal line is great. But for me, it sounds like Aerosmith trying to sing a Whitney Houston tune. that's a great point so it didn't make my list just because of that i can see why it would be there uh i can see why it's probably one of the most they're only number one to my knowledge right um the video is interesting obviously the video has his daughter in it and a bunch of things but you'll notice that steven tyler is pretty stationary in the video okay that's because he had a major knee injury that happened before the, the shooting of the video they actually had to cancel tour dates because he hurt his knee. Uh, this wasn't when he fell off the stage? Yeah, it was, I think. Oh, okay. So it was shot after his knee injury, and he was wearing this big brace that restricted movement, so they shot him right. stationary. Right. So a lot of close-up shots for, for Mr. Tyler. So anyway, let's listen to Alan's, uh, what is it, Seven? Seven, yes. Yeah. I Don't Want to Miss a Thing off of the Armageddon soundtrack. <laughs> Okay, that's Alan's number seven. I don't want to miss a thing off of the Armageddon soundtrack. So what do you got at number six? Uh, number six, I have Sweet Emotion, which is on Toys, of, Toys in the Attic. Uh, co-written by Tom Hamilton uh, with Steven Tyler. A great bass. Um, bass drives the song. I love the outro section with just, just guitars, guitars, guitars. You know, and that's what rock and roll is all about. Yeah, no, uh, Sweet Emotion's a, a, obviously a great tune. You have it way too low on the list, but that's okay. The bass marimba that they use to play along with the bass guitar mm-hmm. makes that tone almost unobtainable. <laughs> because Yes, yeah. and that gave me fits when I was trying to learn the bass line <laughs> back in the day because I came to the conclusion at the time that he had double-tracked the bass, but, but I didn't know about the bass marimba at the time. But yeah, but I, I had to come up with something that approximated it because... You just couldn't do it. And he also has that uh, guitar talk box that you just right, yeah. right. So it's always kind of fun. <clears throat> talk about things that nobody cares, wearing out things that nobody wears, was written about Joe Perry's girlfriend by Steven Tyler, uh, mm-hmm. Alyssa, <clears throat> and because there was just this amazing amount of tension between them. And he was like, I can't say, baby, where I'll be in a year. He just, I just want to be away from you. <laughs> Believe it or not, that happens in bands a lot. The songwriters in bands write about their bandmate's girlfriend because you know she's so disagreeable or whatever it might be. 
it always amazed me how crazy some some of the the band fights get uh, with the wives and all that stuff. It's just crazy. But anyway, let's listen to Alan's number six, Sweet Emotion. Okay, that's Alan's number six, Sweet Emotion, off of Toys in the Attic. My number six is off of Get a Grip. It's a song that's more relevant today than any song in the Aerosmith catalog. It's called Living on the Edge. There's a nice riff starting off. It's just at the, the, the lyrics pull you in and feel yourself agreeing with just how screwed up this world is. And I think no matter what your political view is, you realize that this world is a little off. The song was inspired by the Rodney King riots. It won a Grammy for Best Rock Performance by a duo or a group in 1994. Uh, Living on the Edge. There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way. God knows it is. Okay, that's my number six. Living on the Edge. I guess that means I'm up to my number five. It's off of Pump, uh, one of their most popular songs, Love in an Elevator. Love the spoken word intro. There's a great documentary that's available on YouTube. It's the making of Pump. And you see it being recorded, and you see the woman recording it. It's not the woman you see in the video. <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, so it's like this like more proper woman who's reading it, and then going through the reading, and how many times they went through it to get it right. Because you're like, good morning, Mr. Charlie, going down. And it's, no, 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 let's try it again. Let's say, deeper, be deeper voice. Good morning, Mr. Tyler. Going down. You know, <laughs> whatever he does in the beginning. It's awesome. Yeah, it's very suggestive in the <laughs> oh, video. Yeah, it is. It's really, and it's some Playmate or whatever it was there. And uh, the verses that call and answer that I really like, you know, like the, oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of a call and answer yeah. too. Gonna be a penthouse popper. Oh, gonna be a you know it's that whole right. back and forth I love, love a lot. The riff is echoed by the vocals, the pre-chorus hits, and the oh yeah is kind of replaced by power chords. Chorus is catchy and the solo is really good. Anyway, let's <clears throat> let, let me take two seconds to talk about Steven Tyler in an interview and told the story of Love in an Elevator. So I'm going to share that with you for a quick second. Steven Tyler tells that he was inspired by one of his days he found himself in a hot tub with a bunch of women and they were arguing about if men had periods what would happen uh, and would they just outlaw whatever it is <laughs> right uh, so anyway he goes out this big diatribe he, he decided that it was time to move the party upstairs one of the women he was with was drunk and was hitting all of the buttons to the elevator when, when she got on oh look i'm hitting the buttons blah 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 like a little kid and he dropped his his room key so he went down and one of the other girls went down with him. So the elevator doors open, and lo and behold, they're going at it, pretty much, and giving the people in the lobby a show. And she was disrobed, and it was kind of yeah. that's what the thought of the. I've heard the of, I've heard a version of the story that's a little bit different, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah, Etcher it's been changed five hundred times by the times that Stevens told it. Yeah, it's like I don't know it would sound better if I said this. <laughs> I think the hot tub on the roof of the hotel is the only consistent part of it in every story. 
and at the, the all five members of Aerosmith sing the last chorus a cappella. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure on the they all sing it well in live performance they sing it from the same microphone. They kind of gather around the microphone and sing. They but have they, they have some great harmonies live. They really do. So any other thoughts on love in an elevator? No, I think you you pretty much set it off. It goes into the same thing that I was saying before. It was just the radio played the snot out of it, and I got sick of it. But it's a, it is a good song. <clears throat> it didn't happen to make my list, but that doesn't mean I don't think it's a good song. No, fair enough. <clears throat> we're still limited to twelve songs, and right, for, right. for a band like Aerosmith, I think I had twenty eight or thirty that were in in the running. So. Well, 15 studio albums is a lot of songs to go through. No doubt. I think I had 186 because I had missed, I originally thought it was 178, but I had missed a couple of things they put on Pandora's box. Right. There was some stuff that was their release only, and I didn't count the, the Joe Perry project stuff or uh, some of some of the other stuff that and was not. bonus kind of, European releases and bonus Japanese releases and all these different things. Yeah, but, so they have a bunch of songs. So anyway, let's listen to Love in an Elevator. I'll hear the intro too. Why not? Second floor, hardware, children's wear, ladies' lingerie. Oh, good morning, Mr. Tyler. Going down. My number five, Love in an Elevator off a of Pump. So, Alan, what do you have as your number five? You're doing five and four coming up, so. All right. Uh, well, five's one we already covered on your list. Uh, Jamie's Got a Gun. Okay. Off of Pump. Um, great vocals in this song. The lead vocal, the harmony vocals, the background vocals. I love the bridge. Uh, I love the fact that there's two bridges in there. That's something the Beatles used to do a lot, but uh, most bands don't do it these days. Um, I think the bridge knocks it out of the park. The, the guitar work is really tasty. Joe Perry uses a variety of techniques. Uh, production is top-notch. It's, uh, it's one of their better tracks, obviously. Let's hear a little bit of Janie's Got a Gun, Alan's number five. That was uh, Alan's number five. Jenny's got a gun. And so what do you got at number four? We're getting into the top four here. This is like heavy duty disease. It's heavy ground here. Yeah. Now, now there better not be a bad note in any of these songs. <laughs> uh, my number four is Living on the Edge from Get a Grip. Okay. We were fairly close on that. I, I can hear the Beatles doing something like this if they hadn't broken up when they did. Oh, really? The choice of the chord progressions are, are interesting and atypical. Great vocal melodies and harmonies. Tom uses an extended range bass again, either a five-string or a six-string, which gives it more depth on the bottom end. This song fires on all cylinders. This this really cranks. No, it's a, it's, it's a great tune. Uh, the lyric, if you can judge a wise man by the color of his skin, the mystery better than man, man than I, comes directly from uh, a Yardbird song, which is, you're a better man than I. 
Mm-hmm. So anyway, just a sidebar. So uh, living on the edge. Well, get a grip. Alan's number four. Okay, that's Alan's number four. Living on the edge. So I, it was my six. Alan's four. Pretty pretty close. Uh, my number four is going old school off of Toys in the Attic. In fact, it's the title track from Toys in the Attic. Great song. Which is my number four. <clears throat> Fast and grooving. The riff is great. I love the intro with you know lights, voices, scream, nothing. See, it's just fantastic. Guitar and vocals kind of follow the same melody in the verse, mm-hmm. which I kind of like. The pre is amazing. Uh, the chorus is like rolling on a train on a roller coaster for me. It's just it's moving. Toys, toys, toys in the air. Ah, so good. Solo is good. Uh, the frantic bass underneath almost overlaps him too much. Mm-hmm. The solo one takes a little bit away from the solo, even though it's awesome in their own right, if it was like separated a little bit more. Uh, that's my only minor thing, but I think it's one of Aerosmith's best songs, period. Toys in the Attic is an old expression that means going crazy. That's where it came from. Mm-hmm. The song's about a guy losing his mind. It's just explosively fast, rollicking, and on the edge of control through the whole song. Yeah. It just p- seems to like pull the listener backwards and forwards. Voices scream, nothing seems yeah. real's the dream. It's just ah, so good. I I really love this song. Actually, I think that phrase is the first half, with the second half. It's an old English phrase: uh, "Toys in the attic, bats in the belfry." Okay, <clears throat> that makes sense. Like and over here, we say you know the elevator doesn't go to the top floor, lights are on, but nobody's home, yeah, and stuff like not that. Not playing with a full deck, yeah, all that stuff, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> It's a great song. They, they, I, I think they were pretty courageous putting that as the first track. You know, yeah. I would have done something safer, but you know, it worked out for. But them. it was great. I mean, it's like you turn on that out, the boom, right off the yeah. bat, you're yeah. getting hit with it. Yeah. I agree. It's great. I love it when bands hit you right off, yeah, full bore, right off the top. That there's no, this is going to be a really different album from us, mm-hmm. and it's going to be like you're going to be pay attention. We're going to hit it hard. Exactly. So here's Tours in the Attic, my number four. Okay, that was my number four, Toys in the Attic, off of Toys in the Attic. My next song is off my number three, because we're in the top three now. All right. Uh, It's a song that you may have heard before, off of Aerosmith, the first album, and it's a ballad. (laughs) Dream On is my number three. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, just, just a killer song. The keys in the beginning set the tone with the clean guitar, I love the progression, the rising and smooth soaring voice of Steven in this song is just mm-hmm. f- amazing. The instrumentation is just great throughout. The chorus is epic and the tempo kind of thickens with the heavy guitar as it goes on. Perry's guitar kind of sings, you know, emphasizing each section with just some really classic, well-placed notes. It, it, Steven was working on the song for about, oh, six years or so, right in bits and pieces. But allegedly, his big breakthrough came from the suitcase incident. Are you familiar with that at all? No. You may not. Okay. Evidently, where they lived in Boston, Stephen found a suitcase with a uh, where the band was staying. And the suitcase had a bunch of money in it. 
Oh. And so he took it, and then gangsters came and knocked down a store. So where's my, where's my FN money? And they came in and threatened him with guns and everything, and they backed down at the end. But Stephen, evidently, the rumor has it that he took it, and he used it to buy a keyboard that he used to write Dream On. <laughs> <laughs> which is the, oh, wow. it's an rmi keyboard so yeah. anyway so wow. that was the story behind it uh whether or not it's true or it's just lore or some sort of legend no, well slash says he stole his top hat too so but you know <laughs> he some of those stories are fun to believe in from a romantic standpoint yep <clears throat> so uh they first performed the song in the shabu inn in connecticut in 1971 shabu 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 in. Okay. Uh, they were paid $175 and a bottle of gin for the show. <laughs> wow. So if, if maybe it's a good it maybe could be a good bottle of gin, and that could have been a good thing. Well, you could use the money to buy a better bottle of gin, too. There you go. <laughs> but here's a Dream On, amazing song, and my number three. Alan, we get to go to hear your three and your two. So we're getting to the top here. My three and my two. So what do you have at number three? Number three is off of Pump. It's called The Other Side. Nice. It was written by Steven Tyler um, and a guy named Valance. Mm -hmm. And there's an interesting story about how they got sued over this song, but I think I'll let Rob tell that one because I think he probably knows it. <laughs> This song has great energy, a great groove. It makes you want to get up and dance. The horns and the guitars kick butt. And the energy level is just over the top of this song. Great dynamics. Steven Tyler's lead vocal is excellent. This song kicks butt seriously. Yeah, no, so, it's a, it's... so this is my number three. It's a great song. It was one of these songs that just missed my list, actually. Oh touch base briefly on the what you talked about holland dozier holland pointed out similarities between their songs standing in the shadows of love an old motown song yeah, an old motown song and they said that there were similarities between the two songs i went through it and i actually listened to the actual song and i couldn't see it i, I really couldn't see it maybe the mildest similarity but the fact that this is one of those lawsuits that the fact that they even brought it is ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's desperation. It, it's, I, I was a big Motown fan. I still am. And I don't hear any Motown in that song. I don't hear it. I mean, maybe if maybe one of his vocal runs, maybe. But it's it's not know. the song. It's no lyrics. There's no chord progressions. It's not, Or maybe they use similar chord progressions somewhere. I have no idea. I don't know where this one comes from. I understand when people steal songs, a la Zeppelin, a lot of stuff they did was straight stealing. I'm good with that. You can sue for that. I'm all right with it. The This song I couldn't see, but that's what happened. Standing in the Shadows of Love, people sued Aerosmith. So if you ever want to take a chance and you think that there may be some validity to it, listen to Standing in the Shadows of Love. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah. And uh, listen to Aerosmith's and I, The Other Side. Um, I, I think uh, the, the band was wise by... Giving them what they wanted in terms of giving them songwriting credit on the song whenever yeah. it's 
whenever it's listed as an Aerosmith song. I just think it sets a bad precedent. Well, yeah, you may be right about that. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, I love the Dulcimer Stomp intro on the uh, Pump album. The harmonics and the feel of that are great. Uh, the horns before the chorus, the verse, the shuffling guitars with the key and horn hits again. Mm-hmm. The doubling of the background vocal and the catchy chorus that they have there. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, Joe Perry spending... I enjoy when he spends a little some time on the lower end right. of the guitar neck right. during the solo, and I thought that was great. Right. You know, because a lot of times people get caught, like guitarists, and I'm one of them, ends up getting caught up on the high end. But I really enjoy using the right, whole fretboard, right. and I love to see it when they go down low a little. And bit. I love Joe, Joe Perry's use of dynamics too. Yeah, it was great. So let's listen to the other side. Off a of pump, Alan's number three. <laughs> Okay, that's Alan's three. Take me to the other side, or the other side. Uh, listed on the album as Dulcimer Stomp slash uh, the other side, because the Dulcimer Stomp section is great too. That was your number three. What's your number two? My number two is Walk This Way. Hey, ding, 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 ding. We have a match. A bouncy, infectious groove, flawlessly played. Uh, Tyler's skill as vocalist and lyricist is on full display in this song. This is the ultimate classic rock cover song. If you've ever played in a classic rock cover band, you've probably been asked to play this song. It's ubiquitous. You can turn on the radio in any city in this country and hear this song today. That's how often it gets played. I see this. Toys in the Attic was released in 75, I think. I see this song and the album itself to a lesser extent, as Aerosmith kind of planting their flag in the middle of the rock and roll landscape of 1975 and saying, we are here and we are here to stay. See if you can top this. Yeah, and it, and it also planted them a decade later, you know, when right. Run the MC hit it. You know, it planted it, the same flag again. It's interesting. They were having the, this song almost didn't make Toys in the Attic. Steven Tyler couldn't come up with words for it. It was the, the structure, they couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So they decided to take a break. So they walked around New York City, and sometimes Steven's inspired by something. He didn't see anything particularly that was inspiring. So they ended up walking, uh, and they saw that there was a, a new Mel Brooks movie playing, Young Frankenstein. So they all went to see Young Frankenstein. So they come back. They all were laughing at the way that Marty Feldman was the hunchback in the movie. Right, he, right. When he says, he, he, he waved the over, he goes, walk this way. And, 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 <laughs> and, and he's like hunched over and walking, and they were laughing about that. And the producer was like, that's... And he started mimicking it in the studio as the song was playing, walk this way. And then Steven said, that's it. And he disappeared, and he came back, and the lyrics were done. Joe Perry uh, played a strat through an old uh, 53 uh, tweed twin reverb. Wow. So it's like, and he had uh, some some stuff. And Jack Douglas did all of the, he was the uh, the producer. He was the guy who came up, he was the guy doing the mimicking of Walk This Way. Right. And uh, and Joe Perry used that talk box in the chorus a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, yeah, but it's great. And for me, I, as I said, truth be told, I heard the Run DMC version first. And this is our match on two, so I'm going to talk just a little bit more. 
they have like turnarounds in it and they right. almost act as mini solos and I think they're so tasteful. Right, right, yeah. And they're all short and but unforgettable in that, which I think is great. You know, he tears at the end of chorus two a little bit and kind of goes, which is great. I love it. I didn't oh, really minor thing. Last deviation and and I'll come back off. Uh, one of the things that the brand Aerosmith did in later days is they had to deal with Disney that they created the rock and roller coaster. I think it's at uh, MGM Studios in Florida. And they, it's a looping indoor roller coaster. It's sort of like Space Mountain, but with loops and a launch coaster. Okay. Yeah. And it's you're trying to get Aerosmith to the concert through LA traffic. That sort of thing. Anyway, originally what they did is instead of having the soundtrack from Aerosmith on there, they had Walk This Way playing the entire time and people started getting sick of it. Oh, <laughs> It's like it's that. a small world all over again with, yes. with Walk This Way. Yes. Uh, but anyway, but I think getting back to where we was going before, since I came to run the MC version first, even though I do like the original better, and I know you came to the original first. And we tied on two. So let's play a bit of the original version first. Because you went first on the t- on the number two. Okay. And then I'll follow that with my, some of the Run DMC one. So and see if we can kind of see some of the, okay. the differences between the two. So this is both of our number twos. But this is Alan's half of his number two. Uh, it's Walk This Way. So let's listen to Walk This Way. Now here's my half, the Run DMC version. Yeah, it's really, if you think about it, this song was the first song ever to make that rock rap crossover. For Aerosmith, who was down in the dumps, done with mirrors, right, was out. The fact that the producer of Run DMC's album knew them, and he said, hey, they heard him listen to it. Run DMC called it Toys in the Attic. That's what they were going to use. Because they like sampling stuff for for their rap, right? And... Then Rick Rubin, who was the producer, said, hey, you know, you guys should think about doing this. This would be amazing because you'd open yourself up to the white market and the people who don't listen to hip hop and maybe even get you on MTV if we can get Aerosmith involved in this. Mm-hmm. And he brought Aerosmith involved. He said they wanted Joe and Steven. That was all. It wasn't the whole Aerosmith. Right. A- and he had them come in and, you know, after some while they really hit it off and they got along and they did it and they didn't even know when they finished recording it that it was going to be on the album and then it was not only on the album it was their first single and then they did the video for it and that video just changed everything because it was you know the two bands playing on their own and then literally on either side of a wall and then they break through the wall and and then steven tyler breaks through the wall right and and you see joe perry looking through the hole and everything right but into kind of crossing over and say hey we're breaking down the walls between the hip-hop right. world and right the, and the rock world and i think it's it's just a one of those amazing songs that are 
not only important for Aerosmith, but important for music today, important for people who were into hip hop, mm -hmm. because hip hop was not getting the airplay on MTV at all. And after this song hit, like all real MC stuff got on, and then they had. And Aerosmith's career was resurrected. At the oh, same absolutely! Time. And everybody's like, "What band is that?" And I was one of those guys. Yeah. You, so you really have to admire Aerosmith's longevity. Not many bands could have survived all of the things that they've been through. I agree. They've been through a lot. So I'm doing my number two, which I already did. We just walked right. this way, uh, and I'm going to do the number one first, and right. it's not going to match yours because That's you've true. because you've already said my number one. A long way down the list, wherever you had it. It has, a, let's just uh, say it has a bass marimba in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sweet Emotion off of Toys in the Attic is my number one. I actually saw, uh, well, I've seen Aerosmith play this, but it was cool. I went and a buddy of mine got me tickets because I didn't know who Zach Brown was. Zach Brown is a, a country artist, but he's kind of on the edgier side. And he's, yeah, he's original, great. and he's it's just—it's really fantastic. But I didn't know much about him. I—I had seen him do a Devil Went Down in Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, which is great and it's fantastic. But I saw them live, and actually in their set they did uh, Enter Sandman by Metallica, like full bore. It wasn't like they did a country version of it. They played Enter Sandman by Metallica, and they also played Sweet Emotion in the set. So. Did they play Chicken Fried in between oh, those yeah. two songs? They played Chicken Fried. <laughs> they played all that stuff too, uh, you know. Knee deep in the water somewhere. That's, that's that great that the, the same band can do country and metal in the same uh, show. Uh, they just go. It was, it's, they enjoy music and they're a fun band just generally. And but anyway, we're back on Aerosmith here. Uh, but interesting. There's a hidden message in this song. Not anything satanic, a la Stairway to Heaven, but there. And that's the part I think I'm going to play because you played some before. If you notice, there's like a little like backwards like. At, at certain parts of the the, mm -hmm. the thing, and that's typical of so backwards drum sounds. Yeah, but if you go and there's actually some backwards chanting, and you can hear oh. the, hear some words, and you're like, "What is that?" But if you play it backwards, it was about their one-time manager Frank Conley, who they had issues with or whatever. Jack Douglas says that they were singing "Thank You, Frank," but Steven Tyler said they were chanting "F you, Frank." Okay, and and. and in the unmasking of it anything else this song was just great uh harmonies the chorus are good there's no true solo in this per se but he he kind of shreds on the outro on it uh, right good stuff on the outro yeah so uh but anyway the whole song is fantastic or else i wouldn't have it number one overall uh so i am going to put on some sweet emotion and i'm gonna put uh Hopefully you can hear a little bit of that backwards masking. It's, it's kind of hard because right now I'm, we have to play things through speakers. <laughs> so it's not like I can play the digital track, but where I'm playing it, listen to it when you can. They are very nice speakers, though. Thank you. So it's around, uh, oh, about 155 to 205, if you want to check that out. So anyway, that's my number one overall. And, you know, Alan can say his number one, but we don't need to even go there. So let's go to the end. And I'm kidding. <laughs> we already know 
the number one. It's speed of motion. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. You're too jaded. I know. So you're and my number one is jaded. jaded. Okay. Wow. Wow. Uh, Just Push Play, written by Steven Tyler and Marty Fredrickson. <sighs> this is an excellent track all, all around. Uh, beautiful vocals. Lead vocal is beautiful. Background vocal is beautiful. Uh, excellent songwriting. Excellent production. Yeah. And I'm going to get a little musically detailed here. There's In the verses, there are, when you hear those kind of bouncy, friendly, happy chords, those are major seventh chords. And they set the tone for this song. When, when it comes to the chorus, the chord progression the songwriters chose in the chorus is brilliant, in my opinion. I think the chord progression itself is a, a, a melodic hook in and of itself. And uh, for those of you who are into those, that kind of thing, it's a one six three five chord progression in the key of A major. Um, this song fires on all cylinders. Everything about it is excellent. I think it's the best song Aerosmith's ever done. Wow, I'm shocked. But it's it's a good song, and I got it. Uh, yeah, but hey. But I'm I, also, you know, as a kind of beginning songwriter myself, I'm looking at it from a songwriting standpoint, and I think it just kills. Oh no, it's a great. It is a great tune. It it is. Uh, I think it's more number eight than number one, but that's okay. <laughs> Your number eight, my number one. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It, it'll be up on our our list when we push it together, anyway. Because when you have the the ones and the the numbers kind of mixed, so it it could be number one overall. We'll find out. It'll be interesting. I have a feeling it'll probably be walk this way and make make the jump to number one on on the computerized list because we that's don't, probably true because because yeah. we both have twos and those are that's pretty right. high up. But yeah, it'll be interesting right. to find out. So listen, but we'll 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 hold off on that for a couple of minutes after we listen to uh, Jaded, uh, Alan Campbell's number one song ever by Aerosmith off of Just Push Play. Okay, and that's Alan Campbell's number one, and that's our number one, and we're done. Hooray! Uh, so, before we move on, uh, do you enjoy the the Thirty Dozen? How do you feel? You got through it now. Yeah, I, I, you know, I learned a lot about Aerosmith that I didn't know before. Yeah, and I have um, some respect for them that I that it is newfound. Steven Tyler is an amazing lyricist. He's very clever with words. He does play on words well. He does double entendre. You know, a lot of songs, you know, the vocal, the, the lyrics are just kind of something that you sit through. His stuff is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to listen to him vocalize because he's, he's trying new things and he's trying rhythms, you know, like Walk This Way, the half rap, half singing type things. Yeah, even the original version was like... Was, yeah. Was that, yeah, yeah. And like like I said before, you can't argue with their longevity. It's the same five guys in the band now yeah. that it was in back in the beginning. And, and they're playing the they're playing Vegas now. They have a yeah a residency where they'll play a couple times a month through the end of the year at least. So if if you want to check them out, and you're anywhere near Las Vegas, or it's always yeah. a good excuse to go to Las Vegas, quite frankly. Uh, and they're all set in, and they're putting their show on so and it's, they're in their late 60s and early 70s and they're still rocking so there's hope for the rest of us too yeah no doubt okay so let's talk about the beer real quick so what do you think now that you've finished the bottle chocolatey 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 goodness yeah 
It's just uh, it's like I've I've sworn off chocolate for probably the last couple of months. Okay. So if I taste something that's even remotely like chocolate, it reminds me of chocolate. So that's what. But it's it's a really good stout. Right. You know, and, was, and stout isn't for everybody. It's it's bitter. It's it's kind of dark tasting. It 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 almost tastes like um like something's been burnt over a flame too long sometimes. But um, and you have to acquire a taste for it. But it's it's a really good stout. Yeah, and if you can get at it, it's like if you're looking to get into stout, it's not a bad one to start with because it has that sweetness tone to it, and a lot of them don't. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's more subdued than most stouts, which is which makes it um, a little bit more appealing for the masses, I think. Yeah, no doubt. So anyway, let's go to the computer, put our top 12s in there. Let's just remind everybody what our top 12s were real quick. I'll start with mine, and then we'll run through yours. My number 12 was Permanent Vacation off of the same album. Number 11 was Crying off of Get a Grip. And number 10 was Janie's Got a Gun off of Pump. Number 9 was Back in the Saddle off of Rocks. Number 8 was Jaded off of Just Push Play. Number 7 was Dude Looks Like a Lady off of Permanent Vacation. Number 6 was Living on the Edge off of Get a Grip. Number 5 was Love in an Elevator off of Pump. Number 4 was Toys in the Attic off of Toys in the Attic. Number 3 was Dream On off of Aerosmith. My number two was Walk This Way off of Toys in the Attic. And my number one was also off of Toys in the Attic. It was called Sweet Emotion. So, Alan, can you just recommend? Uh, my 12 is first Full Circle off of Nine Lives, 11 Dream On from the first album, Aerosmith. 10 One Way Street from the same album. Nine Back in the Saddle from Rocks. Eight Adam's Apple from Toys in the Attic. Seven I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from the Armageddon soundtrack. Six, Sweet Emotion, Toys in the Attic. Five, uh, Jamie's Got a Gun, Pump. Four, Living on the Edge from Get a Grip. Three, The Other Side from Pump. Two, Walk This Way from Toys in the Attic. And one, Jaded from Just Push Play. Okay, so let's go to the computer. And we'll do the Wayne's World sort of walking there. And we'll, and I'll read the list in five, four, Three, two, one. Okay, we're back. Now for the official Dirty Dozen of Aerosmith. We're going to start with 12 and work our way up. Number 12, Dude Looks Like a Lady. Number 11, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Number 10, Love in an Elevator. Number 9, Toys in the Attic. Number 8, Back in the Saddle. Number 7, the other side. Number six, Janie's Got a Gun. Number five, Dream On. Number four, Living on the Edge. Number three, Jaded. Number two, Sweet Emotion. And number one, Walk This Way. That's an honest list right there. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's good. So that's good. So it's Walk This Way, Sweet Emotion, Jaded, Living on the Edge. Dream on, Janie's got a gun, the other side, back in the saddle, toys in the attic, love in an elevator, I don't want to miss a thing, and dude looks like a lady. And just for this week, we are going to put the two bonus tracks on there that was both of our uh, songs of note are going to be on in the uh, playlist this week. So there's going to be there's going to be not just the top 12, there's going to be 14. So you're going to see both mm -hmm. of the songs of note on there, even though mine was better than Alan's. And you have to... <laughs> 
You have to compose a sentence with all 14 of those titles in it. Yes, I know. I, I, I could have probably done that if I wish I knew it beforehand. But finding out I had no idea. Like, the last thing I would have thought coming into this is your number one would have been Jaded. I, I had no idea. I was expecting you to be, like, all first pretty much it's funny as we work as i work through rocks pretty much as i work my way through the albums and uh when i got up to just push play i wasn't i didn't know what my number one was going to be but when when i listened to jaded i knew right away that was going to be it so well thank you everybody for being involved thank you alan for joining us for this uh, special occasion great thanks for having me i had a great time and uh we're gonna be doing uh the next i'm gonna tell you what the next two podcasts are gonna be and I'm not sure on Jake's schedule. Uh, Jake will be back full time when he kicks back in. But uh, I have two of the next podcasts. The next one will probably be Pink Floyd. And we're going to have another uh, special guest host, uh, Jason Weck, who we mentioned. Uh, fantastic keyboard player. Uh, we mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts. Uh, he's going to be stepping in. And Pink Floyd is his favorite band. So we're going to sit and talk about some Pink Floyd in two weeks. And then two weeks after that, Jake will be back and we're going to be doing some red hot chili peppers. So that's going to be great. And then we're going to have some other really cool stuff coming down the road. Jake and I are already planning what's coming up when Jake gets back. We have a lot of really cool bands coming and a couple of bands that people have requested that we haven't got to yet. I'm talking about, you know, uh, people who requested there was somebody who requested primus that we want to get to but we just couldn't get to quite yet it's going to be interesting down the road thank you again for uh taking the time out to listen to the show and spending time with us check out our facebook page if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast we'd really appreciate you do that uh, you can always check uh dirty dozen podcast.com and we have all the show notes and there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff for aerosmith this week oh and there's one thing that I didn't mention that I think I need to. Joe Rogan is an interviewer, has a great podcast, and he spent two hours with Steven Tyler. And Steven Tyler is out of his mind sometimes. And some of it's good, and some he's, he's coherent, apart, but then he goes off on these conspiracy theories, and uh, it's kind of interesting. So it's really, if you're a fan of Aerosmith, it'd be really interesting to listen to him. Uh, he has some interesting ideas. Well, we've reached the end of what we do. Thank you so much for being a part of it. And uh, God bless. And I'll see you in two weeks. Be well. <laughs>